Hey, it's Pastor Mike. A really small step that could be a really big blessing to our ministry and to the kingdom of God is you taking just a second to rate and review this podcast. You probably know how algorithms work. More people get to hear about this podcast and most importantly, hear about Jesus when you do. So thanks for helping us out and may God bless you today. Hey friends, this week we're going to take a look at the life of Daniel. We learn about in the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel in general is a great example of how to stay true to your convictions under some very difficult circumstances. We'll see that as we go throughout the week that his faith and um, just like the strength of holding on to his faith, how strongly he wanted to hold on to it. It was, it was challenged in a lot of very unique ways and a lot of very difficult ways, but it gives us some great encouragement in our life of faith. Daniel's story takes place about 600 years uh, before Christ, so about 600 BC. And when we come in to meet Daniel at the beginning of the book of Daniel, Daniel has to move. And he's not moving because he wanted to upgrade his living quarters or because, his, um, or because he was retiring or anything like that. He was moving. Uh, he was moving from Israel because Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, another country, he came into Israel and he took over the whole thing. And he took all of the Israelites and he brought them back to Babylon. And once he got the Israelites back to Babylon, he thought there might be some really great workers here, people who are in, men who are intelligent and who are uh, capable of learning and that we can train to become really, really productive people here in the nation of Babylon. And Daniel was among the group that was chosen to come in and be evaluated as somebody who might be useful to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And, uh, and right off the bat, there's a test of sorts. Although Nebuchadnezzar didn't mean it as a test, but Daniel, Daniel saw it as a sort of a test that, well, he needed, he needed to pass. So Nebuchadnezzar brought in all the different workers and he wanted to feed them. He wanted to give them food. And it says that he wanted to feed them with the royal food and with the royal wine that was typically offered at every meal. Doesn't sound like a big deal, right? But it was to Daniel because the way that they celebrated their meals in Babylon, especially with the royal food and the royal wine, uh, they were ways of showing allegiance to their God, a God that Daniel did not, uh, that Daniel did not believe in. And so he saw if he thought, if I eat the food and if I drink the wine here, I'm going to give the impression that I believe in the God of Babylon. And he didn't want to do that. It's the, uh, it's the very first commandment being put into practice for us, the commandment that says, you shall have no other gods. And he didn't want to even give the impression that he, was, that he was worshiping another god, the god of the Babylonians. But he knew that there was a risk if he decided just to flat out not eat the food that was presented in front of him. He knew that Nebuchadnezzar was not shy about just throwing people away. And so he knew there was a very real chance that if he just outright refused to eat or if he said, I'm not going to do this, then he would be thrown away and his life might, might just be over at that point. So he came up with a plan. He had become pretty close with the guy who oversaw, the guy from Babylon who oversaw his particular group of people, and he suggested a plan to him. He said, I can't eat, I can't eat the food because of my personal convictions and my allegiance to my God. He said, and I know you're a little bit worried of what might happen if we don't eat, then we won't be productive, we won't be strong, we'll get kind of weak, and you'll look, end up looking bad. And Daniel said, I don't want you to look bad. He said, but I believe, I believe that our God can take care of us through all of this and give us what we need. So he proposed a 10-day plan. He said, if you give me and my buddies just vegetables to eat and water to drink, and then evaluate us at the end of the 10 days and see if, you know, see if that has, see if we can get by on that and still be productive, uh, then maybe you can just give us vegetables to eat and water to drink as we, as we move on. And the guy thought it was kind of risky because vegetables was not the same, it didn't give the same substance that, uh, that the royal food did. Um, but he thought, okay, we'll give it a shot. It's only 10 days. And so for 10 days, Daniel and his friends ate just vegetables and they drank just water. 
for their food. And at the end of the 10 days, Daniel and all of his friends looked physically healthier than all the other guys that they had brought in. And they performed even better than all of the other guys they brought in. And so much so that King Nebuchadnezzar noticed and he said, those guys are really outstanding and I want to give them another, a higher position. I want to give them a signif more significant position than all the other people that he brought in. And so Daniel and so Daniel and his friends, they were elevated right away um, because, um, because God took care of them. And if you pay attention to the language, if you read through the book of Daniel, and I would encourage you to do that as you go through this week, you notice how often it, uh, it assigns God responsibility for what happened there, that God gave them strength, that God made their muscles strong, that God did all of these things, that God is the one who was very active in making these things happen for Daniel, who wanted to represent God. Uh, fast forwarding to the end of the book, just for a moment, we know that Daniel remained in a high position in Babylon for almost six decades, for 60 years. And so he did, uh, he did a lot of service in Babylon in 60 years. So 60 years, he was far from home. 60 years, he was serving somebody that, uh, that he wouldn't have signed up to serve. And you might wonder, well, why did God allow that to happen? And there's something really interesting in the very first verse of the book of Daniel that gives us some really good insight into this. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand along with some of the articles from the temple of God. And notice the subject and the verb of that sentence, that the Lord delivered Daniel and all of his friends into the hands of the Babylonians. God made that happen. Now, why did God make that happen? In short, because he wanted to put Daniel and his friends in a position to be able to represent God. He wanted to put them in a place where if they stood up for God, it would be noticed. And a place where God's power would be clearly seen because it wasn't there at all. He wanted Daniel and his friends to be in a good place to represent God. And one of the lessons that we take away from the book of Daniel is that the same is true for you. It's that God wants you to be in a place where you will succeed in representing God. That is his purpose for you. And think about that if you're ever in a place that you didn't ask to be, or if things are harder than you ever imagined. Or if your faith is being challenged in ways that you didn't expect or in ways that inflict some pain or in ways that even put the lives of the people you love at risk. Don't tell yourself that God isn't behind it. Just be reminded that God's purpose is always to put you in a position where you can clearly represent God. And remember God's purpose in all of this. Just as he was with Daniel, and we'll see through the book of Daniel through this week, that he certainly was. That God is with you too. God has no intentions of allowing you to fail in your purpose as his child, which is to represent God in some very powerful ways wherever you are. We are looking at the life of Daniel this week. And yesterday we saw that Daniel got, had an immediate challenge to his faith right off the bat when he and his buddies were taken into the nation of Babylon after King Nebuchadnezzar over Babylon. He came in and he defeated, he defeated the Israelites. But Daniel passed the test. And now things were good. He had a place of uh, a pretty high position of authority and things are looking really good. <laughs> but in chapter two, another test comes up really, really quickly. And the test comes from Nebuchadnezzar himself, the king, who had had a dream. And it was a dream that was very vivid and a dream that was very troubling. He thought it might mean something. 
And so King Nebuchadnezzar had a lot of different people employed as his wise men, as uh, the people who had great understanding and who could maybe interpret a dream or give him some explanation as to, as to what this meant. And so he brought in all of his wise men and, uh, and he said, I had a dream, I want you to tell me what it means. And so the wise men, they say to him, well, tell us what the dream was. But Nebuchadnezzar said, no. He said, because I want you, I want to make sure that you are giving me the actual, the actual meaning of this dream. And just, I don't want to tell you the dream and then you make something up and I have no idea if you're telling me the truth. So King Nebuchadnezzar said, he said, I want you to tell me what my dream was and then also tell me the meaning. And how do you think they responded? They said, this, this can't happen. He said, there's no way we know what your dream was. We didn't dream the same dreams and we weren't, you know, we weren't, we weren't there. We have no idea what that was. That's, that's impossible. There's nobody on the face of the earth who can do that. And King Nebuchadnezzar said, well, fine, then you guys are useless. And so he ordered that all of the wise men in his entire kingdom be killed. He said, you're useless to me. And among those wise men were Daniel and his friends. And so there was now an order that Daniel and his friends were going to be, were going to be killed, even though it seems that they weren't in that initial group that, uh, that talked to the king. So, this, uh, so word gets out that King Nebuchadnezzar had decreed that all the wise people in the kingdom, uh, those who had been appointed to those positions, that their lives were suddenly going to end. Daniel heard about this and he asked, well, what's going on? And then somebody told him, well, the king had a dream. He wants someone to interpret it. But he also wants the person who interprets it, interprets it to tell him what the dream was, which is impossible, of course. So Daniel asked for permission to talk to the king. He said, before, before the king carries this out, can I go talk to the king? And it seems that the guy went to see if Daniel would be able to talk to the king. And then Daniel, he went to his friends and he told his friends, I want you to pray. He said, it looks like we might have an opportunity here. I want you to pray. And uh, he prayed, they prayed three things. He prayed for mercy. He said, pray that God will have mercy on us, that his heart will go out to us, that he will see us in the hard position that we are in and that he will do something. That's what mercy is. Number two, he prayed very specifically, um, God, give us the ability to do what the king is asking here. Give us insight into what the dream was and then give us the ability to interpret it. And then the third part of the prayer, it wasn't asking for anything. They ended their prayer by praising God. By praising God. By believing that God was going to be good to them, even though they hadn't yet seen how God was going to answer the prayer. And so they got done praying those things and Daniel gets an audience with the king. And the king comes up to Daniel and he says, he says, I had a dream and I heard that you might be able to tell me the dream, that you might be able to tell me the meaning of the dream, that you have this incredible ability to do this. Uh, are you able to do these things? And you know what Daniel said? He looked at the king and he said, well, no, I can't do that. <laughs> he, said, he said, I can't do that. Which might be surprising because you just never know when a king who's in a position of authority like that, who has a tendency to just throw people away, uh, he might just lose it in the moment and throw and throw him away. But but he didn't. He uh, he kept Daniel around for long enough uh, that Daniel was able to finish his sentence when he said, "No, I can't do that, but my God can. My God can." And God had given him insight into what uh, into what the dream was, and he, uh, Daniel he just he wanted God to get full credit for everything that was going on there. When he was in a position when nobody would have blamed him for making for trying to make himself look good. To, uh, to, keep, to keep his head, literally, maybe, um, or, to get a, or to get a higher position. But he put that at risk because he, was, he so strongly wanted God to get full credit for anything good that might come from this. And then he told, and then he told Nebuchadnezzar the dream. He said, um, and it was a dream of a statue. 
And there were different parts of the statue. The upper part was made of one type of material, and then the next part was made of another type of material, and the next part, and a couple, a couple different sections of the statue. Um, and the different sections of the statue, they represent, they represented different kingdoms. The top part of the statue, which was the most glorious, represented King Nebuchadnezzar. And then the next part represented the kingdom that would come after him. And then the next part represented the kingdom that would come after him. And the next part, the kingdom that would come after him and, you know, different uh, all the way, all the way down. But in the, in the dream, a large stone from heaven was thrown at the statue and just obliterated the whole thing. And the different, uh, the, different, uh, the different parts of the statue that were obliterated, the wind just carried them away and as if it had never existed in the first place. And then the rock became, um, just became so massive that it overtook the whole world. And he told him that this is what the dream means. He said, King Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom represents that top one. And then, you know, we just told him, uh, represents the other ones. But there's something that's more powerful than you, and that is, and that is God. The rock stands for God. And not surprising, there are other places in the Bible where God is called our rock, something solid that cannot be broken, that cannot be defeated. Uh, and there's encouragement for us in that, that God is a rock, and in particular contrast to the different kingdoms of the earth. There's an encouragement to don't get so stressed out about politics. <laughs> don't get so worried when the nations in the world are going at each other's throats. And uh, well, if this person gets elected or if that person doesn't get elected, then all is lost. God, God oversees it all. And he's not unaware of all these different things that are going on. He is a rock that's much bigger than any of those kingdoms, any of them. Uh, so that's an encouragement for us to be calm and remember that God is, that God is a rock. But there are, other, there are other encouragements there too. Related to the prayer, when you're going through a tough time and when you're, you're in a tough situation, that's great guidance for how we ought to pray too. Remember that our God is a merciful God. It's that God does see us in our pain. He does see us when we hurt. He sees us when we're troubled and confused and lost and broken. He sees that and his heart goes out to us. We see that so clearly at the cross that God has mercy on us, even our self-inflicted wounds, and he heals us from them. And so pray to God appealing to his mercy. He is a merciful God. And then pray very specifically about whatever it is that's going on in your life. There's so many promises in the Bible related to prayer. But pray very specifically. There's a passage in the book of James that points out one of the reasons we might not have good things in our life that we feel like we should. It says, well, you don't have them because you haven't taken the time to ask them, to ask God for those things. So take the time, pray very specifically. He answered Daniel's prayer very specifically here. And then thirdly, don't forget to give God credit. Uh, credit before he answers your prayer, an act of faith saying, God, I trust you with my life. I trust you to answer this prayer and I praise you no matter what. And then certainly also credit after it's all done. Um, you know, Daniel was quick to give credit to God before he showed Nebuchadnezzar that he was God and that he knew what was going on. But, uh, but we have a great God who pays such close attention to you. And in this way, God, God witnessed, God showed his glory through Daniel in a way that had a major impact on King Nebuchadnezzar. After he got done with all the, with the, with the dream, with the dream telling and interpreting, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, he fell, it says he fell before Daniel. He paid him honor in order that an offering and incense be presented to him, which Daniel probably said, eh, you know, I don't want to do this. But then the king said to Daniel, he said, surely your God is the God of gods. And again, another reminder why it was so important for Daniel to be in that uncomfortable position. So that one other soul might see the God of gods. I don't know that King Nebuchadnezzar would have seen the true God otherwise, but he saw him through Daniel. And I bet you there's somebody out there today who needs to see him through you.
When we stopped yesterday, we saw King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon give a great statement of faith to Daniel after Daniel interpreted his dreams and, well, he let him know what the dream was, interpreted it, and gave, him great, gave the king great clarity on what was coming. He said, he said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods, which is awesome. But as we get into the next chapter, we see that he didn't totally stay there. Uh, he, uh, he drifted back to some of his old ways pretty quickly. Um, and this is, this is significant even before we get into the details of what we're talking about today. Because there are people in our lives that we have great victories with and victories of faith. They get to a point where like, yes, God is good. Yes, I come to church. Yes, I'm reading the Bible. Yes, I confess my sins and find forgiveness in Jesus. But then they begin to drift a little bit. And today's, today's today, just don't be surprised by that. Um, and don't give up. Uh, Daniel's, Daniel's example is a great example of not giving up. And, and with King Nebuchadnezzar in particular, it's a reminder of the journey of faith. That sometimes we can have our highs and sometimes a person can have their lows, but for us to be consistent in reaching out to them and loving them. But as we get into the next chapter of Daniel, we actually get to talk about some of Daniel's friends who, uh, who already show up in the first chapter, uh, but who really show up in the, in the third chapter of the book of Daniel, and that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those three guys had been close friends with Daniel from the very beginning, and they were journeying with Daniel on the ups and downs that everything Daniel had been through now. But, uh, but now they show up in a, very, in a very particular way. So King Nebuchadnezzar, he built a gold statue. And the command was for everybody in the kingdom, whenever you hear the music start, you're supposed to bow down to the statue and worship the king's statue. And so that was, the, and that was the declaration. So obviously his, hey, Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods. He was at least slipping away from that just a little bit. But, uh, but that was the command, is that whenever you hear the music, you bow down and, uh, and you worship and you worship the statue. So the music, uh, the, the statue was done and the music started and everybody in the kingdom, they're like, well, this is what the king told us to do. So we're going to do it. So they bowed down, except there were three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who didn't bow down. And King Nebuchadnezzar really liked them. And so they were brought in and he said, he said, hey guys, maybe you didn't hear or I'm, you know, just like, I don't want anything bad to happen to you. Just so you know, when the music starts, that's when you bow down and that's when you worship the statue. Okay, are we all clear? And, um, and they said, they said, no, we, uh, we're, just, we're just not going to do that. Now, another little interesting tidbit about all of this was the consequence for anybody who did not bow down to the statue. The consequence was that anybody who didn't bow down to the statue was going to be thrown into a blazing furnace. Like a, they were just going to be thrown into the furnace, into live, into live fire, and their body was going to be burned up. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew that. And yet they stood up in front of the king and they said, we just, we just can't do that. But I want to read you how they said it. They said, uh, they said this. They said, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace... The God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And what they said there is just an incredible example of what faith really is. It's a reminder that God isn't like a vending machine, where if we, if we say the right prayer and we put in the right change and if we do the right thing, then God is going to give us everything that we're asking in the, immediately in, in the moment. It can be easy to walk through life through that way sometimes if we think, well, you know what? I tried praying. I tried going to church. I tried reading my Bible. I tried doing all those things and look at my life. It's just a big old mess and God obviously doesn't care about me. But no, listen to their words. They said God is able to save us. But they didn't say, you know what? We are absolutely certain that God is going to pull us out of the fire. They just knew he could. They didn't know that he would. And then they even said, and even if he doesn't, 
even if this ends with our bodies being burned up into a whole bunch of ashes, we're still going to worship him as God. We're going to worship him as God, whether things look good or whether they don't. And what a great example of what faith is. You know, faith, if we, if we only worship God when life is easy, when life is comfortable, when things are going the way that I want, then we're not really worshiping him as God. We're worshiping our desires as God. As long as you give me what I want, God, then I will worship you. That's not faith. That's putting ourselves above God and saying, God, you better listen to me or else I'm going to walk away from you. But, uh, but they listened to God whether times were good or times, times were bad. I mean, the greatest example of that is looking at the cross of Jesus. Things look really, really bad on that day. And yet, based on the promises that God had given to love us forever, to forgive us, and to care for us, we had every reason, and they who saw that that day had every reason to believe that God was still good and that God was still loving them. But anyway, that's where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, and they don't bow down to him. And then the king's attitude towards them, it just flipped. While he wanted to save them initially, he became furious after they outright said, King, we are not going to do this. And so he ordered the furnace to, be, to, go, to, um, uh, to become seven times hotter. And it was so hot that the guards that he ordered to throw the three guys into the furnace, that when they got so close to the, uh, the furnace to throw them in, those guards died because it was so hot that they couldn't, they couldn't take the intensity, they couldn't take the intensity of the heat. And so the three guys, they're thrown into the blazing furnace, the guards who threw them in, they were dead. And so what do you think is going to happen to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? <laughs> what did happen was not what the king was expecting because he looked in the furnace and he not only saw them walking around, you know, as if they're just having a good time, just talking, whatever. There weren't three of them. There were four people in the furnace. And he himself said, he said, that fourth one, it looks like a son of the gods. And truly it was. That God himself was with those guys in the furnace. God himself was with them. Which is, again, a reminder of what our God does for us. He doesn't stay away from our trouble. He doesn't stay away from our world. He doesn't stay away from our brokenness. He comes and embraces us, and he stands with us through all of it. And then the king was so shocked that he saw them still alive in the fourth one that he ordered them to come out, and they came out. And it was as if they had never stepped into the fire at all. Their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. And for anyone who's ever sat around a campfire, I mean, you know, <laughs> if you're around smoke at all, that your clothes are going to smell like smoke, but there didn't. It's as if it never touched them at all. And it's a great reminder of something that God has promised you in your future. A day when you will be standing and it will be as if, as if everything that gives us so much trouble and pain here on earth, as if it never touched you. The day we walk into heaven and God sets us free from all pain, from all sadness, from all trouble, from all hurt, when God wipes all of our tears away. That day is coming for you too. The miracle that took place for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's a miracle that's also coming for you. Yesterday, we took a look at the account of the three men in the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace and God stood there with them and he rescued them. And then, uh, and then the king, he responded in a great way. He, uh, king Nebuchadnezzar, he said, there is no God like your God, guys, a God who is able to save and a God who is able to rescue. And again, a great, a great statement of faith from Nebuchadnezzar. So you can see his faith is kind of continuing. It went, it went up and then it went down and now it's up again. And <laughs> today, we, uh, we kind of see we kind of see it waver. In fact, we're looking at two kings today. We're looking at Nebuchadnezzar, and then we're looking at the, his successor, one of his successors named Belshazzar. And uh, we look at those two kings. We give um, one one very important lesson, and the same lesson from both of them related to pride. 
and how we feel about ourselves in relation to how we feel about God. The first lesson comes from us, the, the first part of that lesson comes when Nebuchadnezzar had another dream. This time he didn't dream of a big statue that was made up of different materials that a rock came and destroyed. He, uh, he dreamt of a big tree, a large tree that spread over the face of the whole earth, provided shade for a lot of people. It was massive, it was beautiful, it was wonderful. But, uh, but then a voice came from heaven to cut down the tree and the tree was cut down um, but the voice from heaven said, but leave the stump and leave the roots. And so that was the dream. Because Daniel had shown um, great, great ability from God to come in and interpret dreams, he brought Daniel in to interpret the dream again. And Daniel told him the meaning of the dream. He said, he said, King Nebuchadnezzar, that tree represents you and it represents your kingdom. It's massive and it's beautiful and it's great and it does so much good and provides shade for so many people in the world. He said, but at some point, you're going to turn away from God. And God is going to see that and he is going to cut down your tree, but he is going to leave the roots and he's going to leave the stump so that when you turn back to him in faith, he's going to build the tree back up again. You know, it can, it can grow up again. So Daniel urged him, he said, you know, don't even, don't put yourself in that position. Just love God, love God, love God. And don't, don't put yourself above God. But of course, Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't listen. Um, part of the interpretation of the dream was what was going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar after he turned away from God is that not only was his, uh, the threat of his kingdom being, um, his kingdom was going to be going to be taken away from him for a while, but he himself was basically going to go, go crazy, go insane, act, um, um, well, act like a lunatic in, in a lot of ways. And, um, and that ended up happening. Because one day, Nebuchadnezzar, he's, he's just walking through the middle of his kingdom and he's looking around and he just pauses and he says, what a great kingdom I have built. Look at how awesome I am. Look at the awesome things that I do. There is no one on earth like me. I am the greatest person ever in the history of ever. <laughs> Loose interpretation. I don't think he said it exactly that way. But, uh, but God heard it. And that's exactly the thing that Daniel had warned him against. You know, give credit to God for all the good things in our lives. But he didn't. He looked at himself, he elevated himself, and he said, I'm so great. And, uh, and so God did exactly what he promised in the dream. In, uh, in the moment, he became insane. He became crazy. And, um, and in some really, really unique ways, I encourage you to read, uh, encourage you to read through it. But, um, but it, di it didn't take long before he remembered the lesson that Daniel had taught him through the dream, where he realized, wow, this is really happening. And God really is serious about us wanting to recognize him as God and not ourselves as God. And so he repented. And once he repented, he got his clear mind back again. He was back to himself and he was back. He was back ruling his kingdom. And then at the end of that, after all of that happened, uh, it says Nebuchadnezzar, he, he praised and he exalted and glorified the king of heavens. And these are, these are his own words. He says, because everything he, everything God does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And those are the last words we hear from Nebuchadnezzar. We don't hear what happens after that. We don't know when he died. When you get to the next chapter, the very next verse takes us to one of his successors, King Belshazzar. And King Belshazzar, he's having, um, it, it refers, to, refers to Nebuchadnezzar as Belshazzar's father. And, uh, and he's having a big party. And during the party, you might remember that, uh, that Nebuchadnezzar had gone into Israel and he had, and part of his, taking all the people from Israel back to Babylon was taking a lot of the things that had been in the temple back to Babylon. 
And Belshazzar, when he's having this big old party, he says, hey, let's grab some of those cups and goblets and stuff that we took from the temple and let's use, let's use them to have a good time. And so they go in and they grab a lot of the cups, the silver and the gold, and they, uh, they pour wine into them and they're having a great time. And then it says they started to worship the silver and the gold and, and all those different things as if those, as if those things were the gods. And then as soon as it says that that started to happen, that they were worshiping something other than the true God, they were worshiping these cups and different things like that. And then it says something suddenly appeared out of nowhere and it was a hand. It was, a, it was just a hand appearing in the middle of nowhere and it started writing on the wall. Started writing a message on the wall. Mene, mene, tekel, parson, it said. And Belshazzar was just terrified. This floating hand writing a message on the wall and he didn't know what it meant. He wasn't able to interpret it. And none of, the, um, none of his other wise, wise men were able to do that either. And he, was, uh, and he was really, really scared. So they brought Daniel back in again, and Daniel was able to tell him what the handwriting on the wall meant, which is, by the way, where that phrase comes from. You may have heard of the phrase, oh, they've seen the handwriting on the wall. It was an indication of what's coming. It comes from this biblical account, that, um, the, the handwriting on the wall. But uh, Daniel came in and he said, uh, he said, Belshazzar, I can tell you what this means. He says, God has evaluated you, and he takes, uh, he takes what you did here very seriously, and you're going to be punished for it. Um, he, he's, he gave a little more insight. He said, he said, Belshazzar, you knew what your father did. You knew about all the ups and downs in his faith. You heard his confession of faith at the end. And you knew how he turned away from his other gods. And eventually he came and he worshiped the true God. He said, you knew those things. And yet, you still decided to worship another God. He said, so Belshazzar, your life is going to end. And it's going to end quickly. And it did. He died that night. That was it. Well, God had given Nebuchadnezzar chance after chance after chance. Belshazzar, maybe in part because he should have known better, he cut off his opportunity right away. Now, God doesn't tell any of us exactly how long we have on, how long we have on earth. Uh, we might have five minutes. We might have 50 years. We might have, you know, I mean, we, we don't know. But we do know this, that this time on earth is our only opportunity to get right with God. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, they both suffered from pride. There was something that they loved more than they loved God. And if there's something in your life that you have loved more than you love God, if it's yourself um, or anything else, do not wait any longer and acknowledge that to God and repent of it and turn to him, just like Daniel urged Nebuchadnezzar to do, just like Belshazzar should have known to do. Turn to him and what will you find? No matter the sin, whether it's pride or anything else, no matter what you've been holding on to with all your heart more than we hold on to God, you'll always find a God who's determined to hold on to you, who's already forgiven it, and who obviously can take care of those who walk with him in faith. That's, we certainly see that in Daniel. We see it show up in so many different ways. And tomorrow we'll see it show up in probably the most well-known way of all with Daniel. We'll see you then. Yesterday, we looked at a lesson on pride and the danger of pride as we looked at King Nebuchadnezzar and another dream he had, and then also King Belshazzar with the, with the handwriting on the wall. After Daniel interpreted the meaning of the handwriting on the wall for Belshazzar, Belshazzar was so grateful to Daniel that he elevated him to an even higher position. And so he continues to be elevated just by faithfully representing God and, and living out his faith with whatever opportunity that he had. And then after Belshazzar elevated Daniel, Belshazzar died that, uh, that, that very same night. So now we get into the reign of another king, Darius. And Darius, he also liked Daniel. He liked Daniel a lot. 
And Darius, he's coming into power. He's bringing a lot of other people into, uh, to be his advisors, which often happens with a change of uh, change of who's in charge. But Daniel remained remained in charge. The um, the other uh, not in charge, but uh, in a very very high position. And the new people who are coming in, they did not like. They didn't like Daniel. Then they saw that there weren't really there wasn't any way to make him less than credible. Uh, he had a great reputation. He was honest. He was trustworthy, and he was just he did things by the book. He obviously had his principles, and he stuck to them. So they came up with a plan to make Daniel look really, really bad. They came up to Darius and they said, "Hey, King Darius, you are so great and so wonderful, and don't you think that people should let you know how wonderful and how great you are? And I think wouldn't it be a great idea if for thirty days, if people would, uh, if people would." Well, they would, they would bow down to you and worship you for 30 days as the great king that you are. And Darius being the, uh, being the guy that he was, and he said, wow, that, I guess that does sound like a great idea. I am pretty great after all. And, uh, and I think people should also let me know how great I am. And so he made, this, he made this law that for the next 30 days, everybody should bow down to him and worship him as the, as the only God that there is. And the people who, were, who suggested that, they knew that Daniel wouldn't because they knew that he stuck to his guns when it came to his faith. And, uh, and the first time that people were supposed to bow down to him and worship the king, they, uh, they found Daniel. And what was Daniel doing? He was praying. And out in the open, which wasn't unusual. That's what he did. That's what he did normally. He would go up to his room. He would stand in front of the window that opened toward the city of Jerusalem. And he would pray three times a day. And it's interesting that after there was this new threat, you know, and there was a threat that anybody who did not bow down and worship the king, you were going to be thrown into the den of lions. He didn't change his, his practice. He didn't change his habits. He continued to practice his faith in just the way that he did. He didn't let the intimidation or the threat of something bad happening change who he was or what he did. And so he continued to pray. And they, uh, they, uh, the enemies, they busted in on him as he was praying, asking God for help in what he was going to do. And they brought him into Darius and they said, Darius, didn't you say that anybody who doesn't bow down to you would be thrown to the den of lions? And he said, yep, absolutely, because I'm that awesome and everybody should, uh, should tell me that I'm that awesome. But then they said, well, there's this guy here who doesn't. And uh, we know that you said anybody who doesn't should be thrown to the den of lions. And here is the man. And they gave him, they showed him Daniel. And Darius was just sick because he knew he could not go back on his word because then he, would be, he, wouldn't, be, uh, he wouldn't be a good king. He wouldn't have credibility. And he knew he had, to, he had to throw Daniel into the den of lions. And so he did. He uh, took him to the den of lions and he said to Daniel, Daniel, I hope and pray that your God is able to save you. And he put him in and then Darius, they, uh, they sealed it all up and then Darius went back to his home. He didn't sleep that night, he didn't eat that night. He was so nervous about what would happen. And then he came in the morning, he came running out to where the den of lions was and he shouted into the den of lions and he said, Daniel, Daniel, was your God able to save you? And Daniel responded. He said, he said, oh yes, my king. He said, my God sent an angel and that angel clothed the mouth of the lions. And then they pulled Daniel and then they pulled Daniel up. And I want to pause there just for one second because there's one important word that Daniel said that is so significant for our lives. It's the word my, where he said, my God, my God sent his angel. My God. It was his God. He knew that he belonged to him. And I guess my question is, how do you know that God belongs to you? How do you know that he is your God? 
if we if we try to answer that question based on how strongly we believe in him or how 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 tightly we hold on to his promises or how faithful we are in worshiping him i bet you you can find a reason to doubt because we're not always strong enough we're not always as faithful as we want to be we're not always as tight with god as you know when it comes to our tightness with him but but the way we know that daniel's god is also your god you that you also get to use the word my is because that's what god signed up to be that's what God signed up to be when he put his son on a cross so that he would have one place where you could always look and say, well, we know what God wants. God wants to be my father and God is my father because of what Jesus did. And I am his child and I am loved by him and I am forgiven and I am in his family. Not because I'm so good at believing it, but because he's so good at, he's so good at making it happen. So anyway, my God, Daniel said, and he's our God. And then, uh, and then Daniel gets Daniel gets pulled up, and he's rescued. And and then there's a great, great confession of faith from Darius, um, who says, "Daniel, your God, your God is incredible." And um, and he was elevated once again. And the people who tried to, you know, who had it out for him, they they were thrown into the lion's den. And we get a glimpse of what the lions did. That even before they hit the ground, the lions did what lions do. That um, that the mouths were not shut, and the angel did not come. But, uh, but God protected his own, just like God promises to protect you. And that happens and that happens, happens in uh, Daniel chapter 6. There are 12 chapters in the book of Daniel, and which means that there are six more chapters that go on. And as we go on to the book of Daniel, we won't spend a lot of time digging in very deeply to uh, everything that happens. But Daniel, as he was able to interpret dreams, we also see that Daniel was given dreams. And then he was given dreams by God that had symbolic meanings. He sees fantastic pictures, fantastic imagery, and uh, and just and symbolic numbers of of what uh, that gave him insight into what was going to come by um, in over the course of his life and by the end of the world. And the very last thing in his very last vision that we hear in the book of Daniel is just so significant, because God is talking to Daniel in his last vision, and in the last verse of the book of Daniel, it says he says this. He says, "As for you," he's talking to Daniel. Go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. And there are three things I want to point out there. First of all, where he said, go your way. That God was saying, go your way, which was not permission to go and do whatever you want in life and, you know, go. Because he knew that Daniel's way was God's way. And God's way was Daniel's way. Daniel had proven that time and time again, that his way was directed by God. And that's why he said your way. And he identified Daniel's way with God's, with his own way so clearly that he called it your way. Uh, Jesus, incidentally, called himself the way. And it fits in very, very well with how Daniel lived his life. That following Jesus is the way to find fulfillment and joy and happiness and contentment and all those wonderful things. Uh, The second thing, he says, you will find rest. You will rest. And you know what he was talking about there? He said, Daniel, someday you're going to die. And someday you will too. And someday I will too, unless Jesus comes back first. But, but one day we will die. But God was talking about death in the same way that Jesus often did, as a rest. It's like taking a nap. That's how God looks at it. Nothing to be afraid of. Nothing to be scared of. And someday we'll wake up from that nap. But, but that's how God views death. And we can look at the, our loved ones who have died and, and they're resting. That's how God views death. We don't need to be afraid of it. And then the last thing, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. And there's one key word in that sentence that I want to point out, and that's the word will. You will rise, and you will receive your allotted inheritance. And of course, that inheritance, it's heaven. It's heaven. The best part of Daniel's life was still to come. 
And that's what God was showing him. He had obviously shown him that he was with him every step of the way. And he was reminding him that, as, that the great things that you've seen, the greatest things that your eyes will see, they, it's still coming in the future. And the same is true for you. God is with you every step of the way, but one day, one day, the best part of your existence will begin. And then once it begins, it will, it will never end. And God wants you to be there. God has made the way for you to be there. And you will be there because God is with you every step of the way too. I uh, hope you've gotten some great encouragement from the, from the book of Daniel this week um, because there's a lot of it. A great reminder that we have a God that's worth defending, that's worth sticking up for, that's worth holding on to with everything that we have because he is a God who holds on to us with everything that he has.